career, a lot of variety. You never know what you're going to do from day to day. Hello, and welcome to the One Team Gov Show, a podcast featuring conversations with awesome people doing interesting stuff in the public sector. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and we've got an amazing interview we know you're going to love. My name is Kylie. And I'm Kamala, and today we're talking with Inspector Tracy Phillips from the New Zealand Police Force. Welcome, Tracy. Tanakwe, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Very good. So we read recently that you were awarded the New Zealand Order of Merit by Her Majesty the Queen. Congratulations, firstly. Thank you so much. That was huge. Does this mean that we should call you something like Dame now? No, I just I prefer that people just curtsy. So we'll take the curtsy as red, um, if you like. <laughs> I promise we're curtsying in the background here. So, as we always do with people we chat to on the podcast, we have done our research and learned a bit about your background. And we can see that you joined the Auckland Police back in 1990. And what we were wondering was, did you always want to be a cop? Look, when I um, finished school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I went to university to sort of delay any decision making um, for another three years. And then when I finished at university, I'm sort of sitting down with my mum going, well, you know, what what now? And um, she said to me that I needed some discipline in my life and uh, maybe the military or the police. And the military sounded a bit hard and um, the police, well, you know, you've got car chases and really, really good variety. And so I ended up joining the police. All right. Um, so a bit of TV inspiration there. And we often talk on this podcast about the importance of having positive role models. And we know this is something you're passionate about as well. Was there someone who particularly inspired you in the early part of your career in the police? Well, look, I've had a number of different people who have inspired me since joining the police, inside and outside the job. And um, mostly it's your direct supervisors. They've got the most influence. So, you know, you graduate from police college and you come out and you and you get a good sergeant. You know, they, they just say, hey, we want you to succeed. And um, how do we help you do that? And pull you back into line when you get stuff wrong. You sort of apologise and move on. So I've had some really, really amazing people that I've worked with over the years. Yeah, I think that's often the case. You're right that it's it's not the people who are further away from you who are necessarily always your role models, but the people who are really close to home sort of shape who you are on a day-to-day basis. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant when you get people like that who are so good and who can help you grow. So that's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. The, the big thing is um, I, I don't look for role models by rank by any means, but it's the people I'm inspired by are the people who love their job and who are positive and they know they're adding value and making a difference. Definitely. And something we were reflecting on while looking at your career in the police is that attitudes have really changed in the last few decades, and especially when it comes to making sure that our frontline services are as inclusive as they can be. What was it like back when you started, and and how have you seen the police force evolve to be more inclusive? Yeah, look, when I joined back in 1990, and I have to get to the point where I tell people I was five when I joined, because otherwise I sound really, really old. And even then, it's getting on. But yeah, there were some jobs that women didn't do. And when I joined the police, I looked around and the most exciting job in the police is being a dog handler. You just get to chase bad guys and have a great old time 
driving around and chasing people with your dog and catching them or using your dog in search and rescue. So I went and I remember speaking to the head of dog section in Wellington at the time who looked at me and told me that I would need to be fit and that I would need to be smart. I already had a university degree. I was competing internationally in track and field at the time. I was bench pressing more than my own body weight and squatting around about 200 kilo squats. So I was pretty fit and pretty strong and pretty happy at six foot two that I could pick a dog up and throw it over a fence because dogs only weigh sort of 40 kilos. So um, anyway, he told me I had to do all these things. And then he said, as long as he was there, there would be no women on dog section. So I paused and took a breath and looked at him and thought, well, you're an old man and, and asked him when he was leaving and um, thought, I've got nothing to lose. Anyway, he was leaving later um, that year. So I waited and the new guy came in and he was a little bit more open minded. I didn't get the first job I applied for, but I got the second one I applied for. And I think there was about 20 other applicants that were all men. So things have changed. You know, you don't need to be a man to do stuff in the police. You just need to be the right person, which is really cool. That is really great to hear. I have to say, I just took a slight pause there when you said that you were competing internationally in track and field. I am a huge track and field fan, so I'm going to have to take a slight moment there to sort of fangirl and ask, <laughs> what was your sport and what did you compete in? Well, um, at six foot two, I was just kind of pushed into high jumping because I could pretty much fall over the bar and, and jump fairly high. But that was a little dull, so I used to do heptathlons as well. My real passion, if I could unfold out of the starting blocks, would be 100 metres, but yeah, love doing heptathlons. So yeah, love track and field, best sport ever. I'm so glad to hear that. You're, you're my new favourite person that we've ever interviewed. <laughs> I am a very, by no means, international athlete myself. But yeah, the longer distances suit me a little bit better, but that's really, really cool. Um, and especially with the Commonwealth having recently been, well, slightly closer to you than normal. So I hope you, I hope you enjoy following that. Yeah, I was really lucky. Um, we had a Commonwealth Games in Auckland in 1990 and I competed at that and got a bronze. So that was pretty cool. No way. Home Games. Perfect. Yeah, home games went in ranked 11th and the top six jumpers all jumped the same height, which was a metre 88. And I ended up jumping it sooner than some of the others and, and got a bronze, which was stunning. And the really cool thing was my mum and dad were both there um, as officials. And so they got to see it as well. No way. That's great. Kamala, I'm going to hand over to you before I ask any more questions about athletics. <laughs> Yeah, we should maybe have a whole other show just about sports because I've recently started weightlifting. So when you come down to uh, Wellington, you can come spot me and I'll feel incredibly safe. So as Kylie said, we've been doing our research and we've seen that you're now supporting the police force across a number of communities in North Auckland. Can you tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day -day job involves? Oh, so my day job is actually um, looking after the districts from Lake Topo North. So I've got six districts I look after, and that relates to professional conduct. And that's very much about keeping our people safe, making sure that our people do their job and do it well, that they've got the right tools, they've got the right information, and they know the expectations. And uh, if they make a mistake, how do we deal with that in a way that keeps them engaged and also means that we keep the trust and confidence of the person who feels that we didn't quite hit the mark on our work. So that's my day job. And then I do extra things because I'm an active rester. So I manage the police horses for Tamaki Makoto, which is the wider Auckland area. And also I do work a lot of work with our rainbow communities and partners as well. And that's about supporting our own staff internally and making sure that we increase trust and confidence with the, with the minority groups in the rainbow communities. 
Yeah, we saw from our research that you're really passionate about diversity and that you're the coordinator for the New Zealand Police Diversity Liaison Officers. Can you share a little bit about your mission? Yeah, well, the New Zealand Police have got a really good strategic plan and I love that it's on one page. And uh, and it talks about being safe and feeling safe and that means everybody. So then underpins all of our, what we're trying to achieve and making the New Zealand the safest country is our values. And our values are basically primed. So professionalism, respect, integrity, a commitment to Māori and the treaty, empathy, and valuing diversity. And uh, got a very strong sense of right and wrong. So I believe that actually everybody should be treated equally, respected, and we should be professional. And uh, when we did some research with some of our rainbow communities, we discovered trust and confidence was really low. So people in the rainbow communities are highly unlikely to report violence, family violence or issues to police because they don't trust us. And that's really sad because they're often the most vulnerable communities. Uh, Young people in the rainbow communities, if they haven't come out to their parents or they've got some issues, uh, are around about five times more likely to attempt suicide. So, you know, we've got some real work to do and some real opportunities in those communities to make things better. Yeah, that's really sad, but somewhat unsurprising. What sort of work are you doing in the communities to rebuild the trust there? Well, we had a meeting a few years ago with a lot of our stakeholders, the AIDS Foundation, Rainbow Youth, Youthline, Body Positive and a few others, uh, really amazing people doing amazing work and said, what do you want to see from us? And we came up with a wee bit of a work plan. So what we're trying to do is work constructively with our stakeholders and our partners to try and build that trust and confidence. And, you know, we've got to look at recruiting more police to reflect the community that we actually serve. So if we're going to say that we're going to reflect our community, we've actually got to have LGBTIQ plus or rainbow community staff in police so that people know that they can come to us and we're visible in that space. So... You know, we've got a few trans police officers and we've got people going through the recruiting process at the moment as well. So we've got what we call diversity liaison officers or rainbow friendly police officers that work for police. We're trying to raise the visibility of them. So we came up with a wee bit of a work program saying, you know, we need to do better training, showcase our rainbow staff at at things like the big gay out and at pride type events, Uh, try and share some stories through the media and uh, make sure we link in with the right support agencies and that we actively seek feedback from the communities and these vulnerable minorities. Knowing our business better is a big one as well. At the moment, we currently have data collection as male, female or unknown. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of colours in the rainbow. So um, the police have prioritised as a piece of work getting a gender diverse option put into our data collection as well. So, yeah, it's just about a truly collaborative approach to make sure that we've got the trust and confidence of everyone. That sounds great. It's awesome to hear that the police here are so forward thinking. Speaking of you going over and above and doing things outside the day to day job, we saw that you led an international project to develop an online recruitment platform to promote law enforcement careers, not just in New Zealand, but throughout the world. Obviously, as people who work with technology, we've had a look and it looks really slick and well designed. So congrats for that. What were some of the challenges putting that together? Oh, gosh, I can't take the credit for that at all. That's our recruiting team. <laughs> and, and they've done a fantastic job. And you know what? They've, they've really come on board with 
uh, engaging with our rainbow communities. We had a, a couple of drag queens in one of our advertising recruiting advertisements. We had Ivana and uh, Miss Chocolate Box came on board with us for that. On the 10th of February, are going to be at Big Gay Out and we'll be certainly looking at recruiting there, taking our iPads along and saying, right, go sign up and come and join us. Because if you look at the statistics, at least one in 10 people fit into that rainbow communities. So we've got to get them on board. We've got to be really saying, hey, we're out there. We want to be involved, just like we want to be recruiting ethnic minorities and people with different abilities as well. Absolutely. You're making a really brilliant case to the point where I'm thinking, maybe I should sign up for the police. So so well done. Yeah. Um, and Great career, a lot of variety. You never know what you're going to do from day to day. Definitely. It sounds like it. And you mentioned there the sort of 10% rainbow community. I think in a lot of places, there's generally an acceptance that that is on the conservative end of the estimate. So yeah, it's, it's so good to hear that that is being taken seriously and being pushed forward uh, across a lot of different channels that you've mentioned. Something we're really interested in on the show is how you lead work and how people have different styles of leadership, especially when you don't necessarily have a mandate in a hierarchical sense to lead a piece of work. Thinking about how difficult that can be and how much emotional resilience it needs, what would you say your style is when you're leading teams and pieces of work? Well, the really cool thing, and you you did ask the question earlier about what's changed, and uh, when I joined the police, it was very much that the police officers had to sort of almost fit this image of what a police officer was, and that was a sort of I like watching rugby and I'm a man um, (laughs) and I never quite fitted that bill not a huge fan of rugby to be fair and I'm a woman so now we're very much looking at how do you bring your true authentic self to work and how do you celebrate being you while still representing the values and meeting the expectations that people have of police as an organization so things have changed a lot in that space and you know what, if you're trying to be something else, people see through it. So my style is very much about being authentic, being yourself, because good heavens, it takes a lot of energy to be me. So it would take a hell of a lot more energy to be something else that I'm not. And people would see through it. So you've got to have a bit of a sense of humour. You've got to accept that not everybody moves at the pace that you do. And I've got those fast twitch fibres. I like to get stuff done fast. Um, but I have to slow myself down and realise that I'm taking other people on a journey. And um, that's a challenge for me, to be fair. Yeah, that's definitely coming through in you talking about your work as you have a real sense of pace about it and absolutely can can see why, you know, we have to sort of moderate that and make sure you're bringing people along, as you said. Speaking of bringing people along, so we were also sort of thinking and reading about ways that trying to reduce unconscious bias in the workplace and how we can bring that about in the work, particularly with underrepresented communities. Do you have any thoughts or reflections on on how we can do that? Oh, absolutely. And, and in order to deal with unconscious bias, you've got to be conscious of it. So you change the change the goalposts immediately and go, am I missing something here? And And have I just got all of these things the way I've grown up that have influenced the way that I think that I need to challenge? So it is very much about challenging yourself and going, am I hitting the mark here? Uh, Constantly asking for feedback. And and that means from everybody because there's there's no monopoly on good ideas or or knowledge. And uh, so we've got to be constantly learning. And uh, I've got to admit, when I finished university, I was kind of over exams. Then I joined the police. (laughs) There was a lot of exams a lot of law to be studied. Then I graduated from police college, 20 more exams. 
then I thought I wanted to be promoted, more exams, and you just kind of get tired. And then you get to a point where you go, you know what, I'm not doing any for a while. But recently I've gone, you know what, you need to keep your brain sharp. So I've started doing stupid things. My partner made me join up for Spanish classes. Buenos dias, soy Yama Tracy. I've done a Hipapa Tikanga paper to learn more about the Māori language and traditions and protocols. And I think you should never, ever stop learning. And as long as you're learning, that helps to address the biases and the things in your head because you're always being challenged. Absolutely. I honestly didn't know that you had to take so many exams when you joined the police. I thought I was over it as well when I finished university and I joined the civil service and I was like, oh God, 10 more exams to get in. But luckily it was just that and then we were done. Talking about keeping your mind sharp and and legislation, we saw that you ran an operation to repatriate New Zealand deportees after changes to Australian immigration legislation. And it made us think that as people have worked uh, in central government departments, we know how often there feels like there's a big distance between policymaking and the front line in terms of legislative change. How do you think we bring those two worlds together from the policy people to the front line people? That's a really good challenge and very few people are actually good at it. You know, you have people who are very good operationally and then you have people who are very good strategically and not often there's a lot of meeting of minds in the middle. The real leader is someone who can say, here's our strategy and how am I going to translate that into English so that the troops get it? And that's what I love about our our business, our police strategic plan, is it's in English and people do get it. They probably can't say exactly if you say, oh, what's the police mission statement? But they know I come to work because I want to make New Zealand a better place. I want to make it safer and I'm going to be working to make things better for victims. I'm going to try and catch some bad guys or people who have made mistakes, however you want to word it. So the real skill is in translating that policy because no one sits and reads all of the policy there is in the police. You'd never actually get out of the office. And we are moving to a more principle-based approach, which is, very cool. So we want you to do your job. Here it is in one page, what we want you to do. And actually, we trust you to do it. And we trust you to do it in accordance with our values. And if you don't quite hit the mark, then we're going to bring you in and have a discussion and go, mm, what would you do differently on reflection and learn from that? So it's a, it's a pretty cool space that we're working in now. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And the fact that you get to see that in action is brilliant. And it's so good to hear that there's a quite forgiving environment, given how high stress the police must be. If every person who made a mistake lost their job, we wouldn't have many people left working. I think we'd run out of people in New Zealand to hire if that was the case. Yeah, and, and we've got to accept that everyone will make mistakes. The thing is, what we're looking for is that if you learn from your mistakes, that's ideal. If you don't learn and you keep making the same mistake, then we have to look at, actually, we need to maybe revise your employment with us. So we also read about the Paint the Cells project, a project to bring together local artists to brighten up the environment in custody for both staff and detainees. We thought that was a really cool idea and, and showed a lot of empathy and creativity that may not really be expected from law enforcement. What skill sets do you think are the most important when it comes to policing? Well, it's a real challenge, especially for a staff working in the in the custody units, because it's very easy to get into a, a prisoner and guard mentality. And, you know, it's not a nice environment to work in. Most of the cells don't have a whole lot of natural light. Uh, They're fairly dull and um, it's very easy to get into a routine and assume as the person looking after our detainees, 
who are not all bad people, some people have just made mistakes, that actually we need to support them better. So it was about brightening up the cells for the people in there because it's not a pleasant place to be and we're not in the business of punishment. We're simply detaining someone for court because they may or may not be guilty of what they've done or they might be just someone who's being detained awaiting a deportation. So it was about brightening the place up and we looked at it from a whole humanity perspective. So we looked at the type of meals that we were serving, um, the variety, uh, the options, um, how do we keep people busy in the cells because it's really boring. So we set up a whole lot of different things. So painting the cells was just a little, little part of it. So it was changing the way that our staff thought and interacted. We sought feedback from the prisoners about how they thought that we were doing because trust and confidence includes How do we deal with you as someone who is in our care? So we got some playing cards. We worked with the health promotion agency. They put some positive messaging on the cards. Uh, We set up a library and we did a whole bunch of things to just make it better and made sure that we're not actually being mean or punishing people, really. So it was a change in mindset as well well as a change of environment. And looking back on what we did, um, some fantastic people got to see ourselves. We got some positive media out there. But if I had to do it again, I would paint the corridors instead of the inside of the cells because we've had a wee bit of damage to some of them, which is a bit sad because there was some beautiful art done. Yeah, that's so interesting to hear because Kylie and I have both worked in the Ministry of Justice in the UK and a lot of that involved us going into prisons and speaking with visitors but also going into you know the actual prisons themselves and meeting up with prisoners. But one of the things that really struck me is just how oppressive the prison environment can be. I can understand how it could have a like damaging impact on your mental health just like being in that environment and I can't even imagine what it must be like for staff as well. So it's, it's really good to hear that some steps have been taken to to try and alleviate some of that yeah yeah no we i think we've got to keep looking going with fresh eyes what can we do to make things better we've got to constantly challenge ourselves so just moving on to something a bit lighter you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why you decided to join the police and not the army was because of some things you saw on tv so what was police academy like was it like it, it is in the tv show Oh my goodness. I know it's it's changed since I joined, but it was like going to boarding school for me. And uh, there's been significant changes at our police college since then. So it's now a more, it's a better environment now. Uh, when I went there, I was just like, oh my God, it's like going back to school. It was very structured, very rigid. And yeah, you had to learn a hell of a lot of law. And when you watch the TV programs, you sort of You know, you see them running around chasing bad guys. You don't see them sitting at the typewriter typing for hours. Um, (laughs) So it wasn't quite as glamorous as the TV programs. You can't um, run by, grab someone, throw them in the cells and be out catching the next person within 30 seconds. And you're not solving the murder in 45 minutes or an hour with with advertising thrown in. So, yeah, there's a lot of getting the policies, the procedures, the law the exhibit handling, the typing that you don't see on the TV programs, because that would make really dull TV. But, um, you know, when you get things right or you know that you've made a difference to someone's life that day, that's that's pretty cool. So, yeah, it has changed a lot since I was there. I, I hated it, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. <laughs> I love the idea of an alternative police academy show, which is just people at typewriters. <laughs> I don't think that would fly. <laughs> 
we've kind of got this um, police show on TV in New Zealand called Wellington Paranormal. And um, I, I sit there and watch it and laugh and think, my goodness, it's probably the most honest policing TV program I've ever seen. Because, you know, we're, we're not always just walking around with hair dryers blowing our hair backwards with our makeup looking perfect. It's just, you know, you're getting hooked up on fences and you're missing things and you fall over and you get things wrong. So, yeah, that's probably the most realistic TV show I've seen on police. Love it. I'll have to check it out. And you mentioned earlier that you're a quote-unquote active rester. What do you do to relax these days? Mostly stuff at pace. So, um, yeah, I'm not a person who sits down and can do yoga. Um, I usually jump on my horse and um, go out hunting or something like that, fly around a farm at, at, at full pace, jumping over fences, and, and, and that's my relaxation. Any high jumping anymore? Um, occasionally I go down and coach because I'm old and broken. I can barely run across the road without pulling a muscle now. Um, so, no, I, I've been assisting with some coaching. That's really cool. I was absolutely useless at the high jump, being not very tall and also just not very springy, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, I never even managed to get past the, the sort of scissor technique. So, yeah. This is a pretty good grounding, not to be underrated at any point. Okay, well, I'll go back and tell my coach that, shall I? <laughs> so just to, to wrap us up today, so what we love to do at the end of our, our interviews is to get a bit of a sense of some ideas and some stories that you would recommend. So do you have a movie that you could recommend for our listeners to watch? Oh, my goodness. I, um, I've seen Bohemian Rhapsody a couple of times now and just absolutely love it. Um, so that's my favourite movie at the moment. My favourite movie of all time is probably Light Water for Chocolate. And I swear I was speaking Spanish at the end of it. And um, the other one I loved is Life is Beautiful. And the reason I love that one, and that's Italian, and I, I'm pretty sure I was speaking Italian by the end as well, is because it was a story of absolute adversity and how to stay positive through it. So it's a story of a guy and his wife during the Second World War and he gets taken to a concentration camp and his wife, who wasn't going to get taken to the camp, goes as well voluntarily because she doesn't want to be separated from him and how this guy looks after their son in the concentration camp and keeps things positive and, yeah, amazing inspirational story. You're a far better person than me. I get really tired of the subtitles sometimes, so uh, maybe something to, to watch when I've had a bit more concentration and not, not too many beers. Yeah, yeah, you forget you're reading them, I'm sure, and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure I'm speaking Italian by the end of this. <laughs> I feel that like you could go into any Italian restaurant and, and order something completely easily. <laughs> well, much bella, principella. Oh, well done. Better than I could attempt. Um, so we've we've had a movie. How about a book that you could recommend? Well, my goodness, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit dyslexic, so I really struggle with reading books. And my partner's been trying to get me to read science fiction, which I really struggle with. So I did read Like Water for Chocolate because there was literally in the movie Like Water for Chocolate there was some orgasmic recipes in there, and I'm like, I've just got to read the book because you know I must get some of these recipes because I love food and. I really love food. Reading about food, eating food, yep, I, I agree. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, so I'm good at reading cookbooks if they've got a picture on every single page. Well, it's very motivational, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of cheesecake, and my partner makes the best tiramisu. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's quite the claim to fame. Maybe if you do make it to Auckland, Kamala, you'll have to check out check out these winning recipes. 
Yeah, we'll be visiting. And finally, on our recommendations, um, a charity that you'd like us to support. Look, I've always um, been a big supporter of cancer charities, but at the moment I'm really backing groups in the rainbow community. So New Zealand AIDS Foundation do some really amazing work, as does Body Positive. So um, yeah, really being supportive of them because the, the work that they do for some people who just, you know, are really doing it hard. So yeah, that's that's who I've been um, really supporting lately, Body Positive and um, Positive Women. Thanks so much for those recommendations. It's so great to hear you choose those as, yeah, they obviously represent some of the most vulnerable people in our community in New Zealand. So that's really cool. I'm I'm an absolute sucker, though. If anyone says to me, you know, they're collecting for a charity, whatever's in my pocket is what they get. And, yeah, it's not like I'm walking around super rich, but it's usually $50 bills. And I'm like, it's a good cause. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Someone recently baked some, some cakes for some cat charity recently, and I was like, okay, fine. Even the cats need our help. <laughs> well, you know how you have, if you have a fifty dollar bill, you don't want to break it, so you, you so you use your Xbox card instead. And so invariably, what money I have left in my pocket is if if I ever have money, it's fifty dollar bills. So yeah, that's if you ask me, that's what you'll get. You'll be getting a queue of people outside your uh, your police office, knowing that you're going to give them out fifty dollar bills. <laughs> Well, that's a wrap, Tracy. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. It's been awesome hearing about life as a, a police officer in New Zealand, and it's really inspirational, the work that you've done over the years. And it's great to hear about how the police has changed from when you first joined to now. So thank you so much for your time this morning. No, really good talking to you guys. Thank you. Um, and yeah, especially your stories of being in the police and um, about all of the work that you've done, particularly with the Rainbow community. That's that's very close to our hearts as well. So we were really inspired to hear it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. And lovely talking to you both. You have a good day. So, Kylie, when are you going to be joining the police? I've got, definitely got my application in already. If it involves high jumping and chasing around and being in a rainbow community, I don't see why not. What about you? Yeah, Tracy really made it sound absolutely ace. I thought that she put forward such a positive case for the police. It's not something I'd ever thought about before, but I genuinely came into work and thought I might hand in my notice. It really reminded me of when we spoke to Pran and when we were reflecting on speaking to people in frontline service and how you often find the best people with the best values on the front line and that totally came through with Tracy as well all of the stuff she had about being underpinned by values and empathy and valuing diversity is exactly the kind of stuff we talk about at uh, central and local government level but she's out there actually doing that and making it better on the ground and I thought that was really cool. Yeah one of the things I loved about what Tracy did was putting forward such a positive case for diversity. I think the case that's often put forward is that underrepresented communities have typically been frozen out of those kind of jobs. And so if you hire from more diverse communities, you're effectively writing that wrong or it's a rebalancing act. But what Tracy did was um, make a really positive case that people from diverse communities bring really cool and interesting and new ways of looking at things. And it's so great to hear that the police in New Zealand are embracing that in terms of their recruitment. Definitely. And the way she spoke about engaging with a lot of people in the community that are doing good work already, I thought was great. So not just trying to come up with 
the police's own diversity strategy, but working with people within the community already, like um, New Zealand AIDS Foundation and some of the others that she mentioned, was there was a real sense of being humble. And I, that came through for me really strongly throughout the whole interview was that she would talk about these pieces of work that she'd done or, you know, when we we opened the interview and asked her about getting the New Zealand medal and she was just so casual about it and all of it was just because she really loves what she does and she's tries to help other people feel that positively and integrate with the community and it it came through in all of her answers I think the other part which was very representative of who she seemed to be as a person was when we asked her about leadership what did you make of that yeah when she talked about leadership she said that when people join the police a lot of people feel the need to almost embody that kind of stereotypical police person and that vision of what a police person should look like and how they should lead is really changing. I I felt I could really relate to that because when I first joined the cabinet office in the civil service years and years ago, the first thing I did was kind of straighten my hair and I never talked about my private life and I wore these suits that really didn't suit me. And I thought that that was what I had to be like in order to be seen as leaderly in that environment. So hearing Tracy talk about what that was like in the police and how a lot of leadership is bringing your whole self to work was really inspiring. Absolutely. And she had a really great approach to to learning in the leadership space as well. And she talked about things like unconscious bias and always asking for feedback but not in that kind of procedural way. So a lot of her ideas were about making sure that knowledge and that learning and sharing is spread throughout everyone that you work with. And she mentioned about not just taking inspiration from people in a hierarchical sense, which I think can be so common and so easy to do when you're yourself trying to progress your career is to look to the people above you. But with Tracy, there was that sense of looking all around her And similarly, it reminded me of some things in my own career as well. So when she was talking about that expectation of what it's like to be a police officer and what police officers look like, and as you mentioned just then, the kind of person that is typically attracted to those roles, I think you and I have both seen that as well in the justice system and particularly in the prison service. And actually, it doesn't need to be like that. And I thought Tracy was a great example of someone who doesn't fit that stereotypical mold, but really embodies what the organization are trying to do. Something that really resonated was when she was talking about the strategy that the police have got at the minute, and she started talking about the paper or the the set of principles and values that the police have written down, and then the strategy that relates to that. And that's a really, obviously, common approach that we see in sort of corporate world. But it was so cool to hear that even at that more frontline level, they're talking about writing that in plain English and moving towards a more principle-based approach where they try to encourage the people that work with them to to do things in accordance with their values rather than follow a strict set of policies. So it's, again, a theme we hear over and over is about coming back to the intent of the work that we're trying to do rather than the process by which we do it. And that was great to see outside of the realm of central government as well. Absolutely. And related to that, I loved how she was really clear on how the police has really changed over the course of her career. And she talked about when she first joined and wanted to be a dog handler because she was so tall and and strong and fast and she went to the guy who was the head of it and he said no there will never be any women whilst I'm here and she said well when are you leaving and it's just a really good reminder that 
Sometimes it can be really frustrating being in those roles and being blocked in those roles, but sometimes just spending a bit of time and holding on for a better future can be a positive thing, even though at times it can feel a bit exasperating. Yeah. Also, as you probably are going to expect, can I just fangirl for a minute at her athletic career and how amazing that was to find out? It was really funny when I was doing the research for this interview, I'd googled her name and I was reading about all of the amazing accolades that she's got and the great work that she's done with the police and an article popped up on Wikipedia with her name and saying was a New Zealand Commonwealth athlete and to be honest I just read it and thought oh that's the wrong person it must be a different Tracy and I completely disregarded it and as soon as she mentioned that in the interview I was regretting it and immediately went back and did my research and saw how cool she'd been and what a great achievement that was to get that medal at a home games it's absolute dream so definite prize for my most unexpected but best answer in a podcast so far yeah definitely home game with her parents watching you can't really ask for more than that And yet again, just another example of someone on the One Team Gov show who is just incredible and has achieved really incredible things, but still remains really humble. When she talked about being an active wrestler, I really hadn't clocked just how much stuff that she did. When we asked her what she did to relax at the end, and she talked about galloping around fields and taking Spanish lessons, and it's just incredible. It made me really think, I need to do a bit more with my life. (laughs) The kind of person who you think of after you've watched another Netflix box set and you're like, hmm, what am I doing with my life? And that's it from the One Team Gov show. If you enjoyed this episode, you can download, listen and subscribe through all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Blubbery, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Player FM, Overcast and Podbean. We're also available on Amazon Alexa. See you next time. See you next time.